What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Today, we're going to learn why disciplined focus on a few simple things is all you need to get started on the road to building elite teams. That's the key lesson that Matt Anderson picked up in art school of all places, and that has actually set him up for success as a people leader throughout his career. So let me give you a little bit of background on Matt. He's been at Rio Grande as a business coach, director of manufacturing, and now director of HR, spanning a career of 25 years in that organization. He was originally born across the Cheddar Curtain, so that is in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, for those who are not familiar with that reference, but moved very young to New Mexico, where he eventually graduated from the University of New Mexico with a Bachelor of Arts in 2005. He spent some time as a baker, hated the hours. He worked in manufacturing operations for Motorola in Albuquerque, loves to travel. He's a Lean Six Sigma yellow belt. He's had a few articles that have been published uh, during his time as a people leader, and he's a current member of SHRM, and he's also serving on the boards of a couple organizations. That's just the highlights of what Matt has done throughout his career. Matt Anderson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Really nice to be here. Super excited to uh, get into this conversation, and I think we have a lot of uh, ground that we're going to cover, and certainly your trajectory and career path isn't the traditional HR path, so I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about that. But before we dive in, I'd like you to share with us, and especially for the listeners, some of the things that I might not have included in your bio that you feel is important to mention that's going to give the appropriate context for the conversation that we're about to have. You mentioned my school and my time at school, my degree from UNM, and really I started out in the arts, fine arts major, and that's where I learned, I think, what was one of my pivotal lessons in how to approach work, and not that I knew how it would apply right away, but over time, being in operations and being in charge of getting initiatives kicked off and building teams, I realized that the seed for what I was going to do and how I was going to approach my leadership came from art school. It's pretty interesting that you started on the art side from an education perspective. And then what's the story behind you going into bakery and how did you end up shifting from that to being a business coach? Yeah, I had this very romantic vision of what it was to be a baker. My family being from the upper Midwest had this idea of working in a German bakery doing all that kind of stuff. And I had this really cool idea of what that would be. And my mom actually found an apprenticeship in a baker, a German baker here in Albuquerque that was looking for an apprentice. And I tried it out. And honestly, I ended up hating the hours, hating holidays because that was your busiest time. So I took a step back and said, all right, Matt, what is it that you really want to do? And that's when I actually started going. And school was a fun experience for me because I got to discover a lot of things a lot of things I hadn't considered before. 
always been interested in drawing and painting and other artists, but decided, hey, that's something I could actually explore. And so got into that. Although art wasn't the only thing, I was still very interested in like literature, did some of that, but really concentrated on the art. So from there, went through, probably got through my junior year of college and realized I was tired of being a poor student and started getting some part-time jobs, some full-time jobs, working a couple jobs at a time, again, running myself ragged by doing that. And then Motorola started really expanding. This was the days of pagers and the original StarTac flip phone. So they were super, super busy. And the facility in here made a filter that went inside of those phones. And so that's where I really got introduced to operations and particularly manufacturing operations. So there's a couple of things in what you said that I think uh, is worth expanding on. So you, you started out in what I would consider high volume retail on the bakery side. And then as a student, you started working a number of part-time jobs to, to you know make ends meet and, and whatnot. So that's hashtag relatable. I, I went through the same stuff when I was going through school too. One of the things that I'm curious about is how did that experience working in that retail setting and also that experience of being a full-time student and also juggling a bunch of jobs inform your people leadership when you were moving through your career? It really did. I, to this day, I have a respect for people that are in any kind of food service type of role, because I know the determination, the grit, the thick skin you have to develop in order to survive in that area. And some of the jobs, even as I was doing those part-times during school, was still in that food service area. And I think you also become a really keen people observer. When you're having to deal with the public, when you're having to meet a customer's needs or find out what their needs are, you really get, you get into the nitty-gritty of reading people and helping connect with them to understand exactly what they need. Great stuff, Matt. And I appreciate you adding all of that texture. I think it's going to be helpful in this overall conversation. So when you think about your time at Rio Grande and you've been there for 25 some odd years, what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of during your time there? It sounds a little like I'm saying this because I'm on the HR impact show, but really it was getting into HR. I've always had that very people-centric, how do I make this initiative? How do I make this program how do I get folks to work together to produce in manufacturing? I've always had that kind of approach to the work I'm doing. I think I all of that time getting other people's initiatives, so maybe an engineer or an executive director, they want to in, in, implement something. I was the one that they came to get these things implemented, to get people to have buy-in. A couple of years ago when I was approached, to be in HR, it wasn't something I was actually pursuing. I was still, I really do love operations and I love those projects. And honestly, there's something very satisfying about you take this material and you make this other thing, very satisfying. But when our executive director team said, hey, what do you guys think about Matt being head of HR? I think there was like this group aha moment where everybody realized, oh, that makes sense. And since then, I've really felt that I've I found a calling rather than just something that I'm interested in. One of the common complaints that exists on the business side of an organization is that HR doesn't really know what we're going through or what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. They just make a bunch of policies that we have to figure out how to get done. If that's broadly accurate, how did your 
time as a business coach, as the director of manufacturing, as all that time that you spent uh, on the operation side, how has that smoothed the transition for some of the policies and programs that you've put into place? In the past year, for the longest time, we had a bereavement pay policy. And in the policy, it stipulated that your time off for bereavement had to be three consecutive days. And I knew from my time term in operations, while that was easy to administer on the payroll HRN, it really in the real life didn't make sense for the associates that had to take that time because maybe a person in their family passed on one day, but the services weren't for a week and a half later and they needed the other days for them. So we were able to rework that policy to where it made sense in the real world. It wasn't just an administrative benefit to keeping them together, but we were able, I was able to work with payroll and uh, HR and the business leaders to say, hey, can we just split these apart? I, I really like how you wrap that up at the end where you're talking about, it's not about what's the easiest administrative solution. It's about building a solution that serves the people and has the people at the forefront of whatever you're trying to do. So that's really good stuff that you did there. So when you look forward into 2024, 2025, what are the big moonshots that you have on your radar that you want to get accomplished uh, in the next year or two? Rio Grande, about 10 years ago, was purchased by a Berkshire Hathaway company. We are now part of Berkshire Hathaway, and I believe that... Rio Grande has the opportunity to influence upwards. We actually get to be part of developing our parent company's approach to HR and how to balance the people-centric with the business-centric. Because, say, the a lot of HR works directly, say, under a CFO, and a lot of things are driven that way. And I understand why, and HR is your largest expense for most businesses. So... How can we influence, like I said, upward? So that's my big moonshot is to be able to have a seat at the table. We're at Rio now. HR is becoming much more than the problem solvers. When something goes wrong, we're actually driving engagement and implementing engagement tools and engagement activities, which is key to our future growth. I open this conversation by saying discipline focus on a few simple things is all you need to get started is all you need to get started on the road to building elite teams. What's that got to do with the game changer that you realized really shifted your perspective and your capability in terms of building elite teams? I think I shared a story when we talked earlier about being in art school and I had a professor, he was fantastic. And at the beginning of the semester, he says, you get to pick two colors and one theme and you're gonna work that for the whole semester. And I remember seeing like all these crestfallen faces in my class going, oh my God, how can we do that? There's only so much we can do. And that was his point, is that when we limited our options, we got really creative and we were really able to focus because we weren't thinking about our color choices, what formats, what themes, all that kind of stuff. In the back of my mind, that was influencing how I was leading throughout my career. What I would do is we'd look at, particularly in HR, there are a million things we could be doing. And because of that, I think we often find ourselves in a situation where we're doing a little bit of everything, but we're really not solving anything. We're not moving things forward. I work really hard with my team to say, all right, what are the things that are really 
driving either the waste of time or are keeping us from moving things forward. Address those couple things. Now, we don't get to choose when not to deal with stuff in HR. We still have to deal with things, but we start narrowing down our focus to work on a couple things and let keep those other things, maintain what you need to maintain, but start focusing on things that will really have an impact. Because usually if you're hitting that top 10, 20% of the work and the issues that you need to resolve, then the other things below that start resolving themselves. So I like the idea of focus and it's actually come up in a number of different conversations. When you have so much that you're responsible for, and that's the reality of, of a day in the life of HR, it's like almost everything seems to be an HR thing to figure out. So that's the other thing that you have to solve too. The business is always throwing stuff back at you saying, oh, that's an HR thing. What's the process that you went through to figure out where that area of discipline focus should be? So we started with a survey and we had our 16 areas of HR responsibility. And this is everything from culture, benchmarking, um, compensation, benefits, all those things. And we actually surveyed our leaders in the company. So this is executive directors, business directors, team leaders, everybody. And we had them rate their satisfaction on all 16 of those aspects, as well as doing an ENPS question. And that gives us a great indication, not of just because we can know in HR, what we're doing and what we're good at. But if it's not reaching the business, it's not really doing us any good. So we wanted to get the perception of that group. And so we started there. We said, all right, if there's two things, my first year in HR, there were two things that we really worked on. One was recruiting, the other was onboarding. Because during the pandemic and before, those were things that we had struggled with. We had our onboarding was honestly, there was this very simple two-day orientation. And then we were like, good luck. We really put together a whole program. And when we did that survey the second time, just a couple months ago, that onboarding had really moved up. Our retention had grown, which we didn't focus on. We didn't focus on retention. But by focusing on the onboarding, retention actually came up. And then by doing that recruiting piece, we got out of that place of having, we had the room to really invest in that onboarding experience because we weren't hiring and having such a great church. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. You started this process by surveying and getting the pulse of leadership and executives on where they see is the disconnect. I think one of the common things that happens within a lot of organizations is that you lose steam the closer you get to the front lines of an organization in terms of momentum to make change. So oftentimes you ask executives and senior leaders, how do you think we're doing? What do you think about our mission, vision, values? Everybody will say that's great. You get down to the line and you'll ask an employee or even a line manager, what do you think about the work that you're doing and how it all fits in? And they'll look at you 
sideways and like, I have no idea how all this fits in. So when you look at surveying the executives to for prioritization, how did you connect the dots and incorporate your managers and your line people so that everybody is working towards the same direction? Sure. And some of that was very intentional in what we did with that onboarding and with our mentorship program. So we have a peer mentoring program and we set up in the surveys we also do at 30, 60, 90, and 120 days, we actually have questions that ask people about those different aspects. Are, do you know how your tasks relate to the overall goals of the company? Are you getting the answers you need? Are you meeting the people you need to meet? So that we had some kind of sense, Are we, if we're doing all this again and we're getting that perception of leadership, are we also getting those results and are people feeling that they're getting that support at the on the front line, on the floor. The other thing that stood out about what you had mentioned earlier in terms of how you had impacted some changes, you focused on recruitment, but specifically within recruitment, you focused on onboarding and you saw the impact of a better onboarding process on your retention. And that makes sense because the data clearly shows that the better your onboarding experience, the better your retention outcomes. The other thing that I'm wondering is, where in that equation did you slot in the people that are already in your organization and how you're developing them and moving them through the career progression phase within your organization? Because that has a big impact on retention as well. Within those art and boarding classes, because maybe we'd have two or three people a week coming into the organization. And what we do is we'd open up those classes. If there were, of course, we're not going to invite them to say the first day paperwork stuff or going over the handbook type of stuff. But when we were going over things like values, what we call our three or three R's of respect, responsibility, and results, we'd invite people from the environment in. And we started doing those classes where we had suspended a lot of classes during the pandemic. We started having those in-person classes and then also expanded into doing classes over teams. And then sometimes even a little bit of both. So there's a lot that you've been able to accomplish in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, when you have these sort of high ticket or high value initiatives that you want to impact, you can almost get into a, a phase where you're trying to come up with the perfect solution. How did you avoid falling into that sort of trap? One of my mentors said, let's start at 80% there and figure out the last little pieces. Because even when you think you have the perfect plan, there's usually things that go wrong at the end. So if you involve people in saying, hey, I think we're just about there, but I need your help in figuring out what we need to change, adjust, please give us feedback. I think when you give yourself that freedom and remove that pressure from yourself, from having to have the perfect solution and knowing that you're mostly there, but you need some help tweaking, dialing it in. And that's really where I focused a lot. I like your your emphasis on not getting too worried on about having the perfect plan. I think it's a Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. How did you build in that iterative improvement, the continuous improvement process into that initiative once it got, got rolling? Part of it comes from that lean training that I've had and working with teams and helping them develop. We have a lot of, we have a high percentage of white, yellow, green, and even a couple black belts at Rio Grande. I think we also have a continuous improvement incentive program here at Rio. So I think a combination of those things has people ready to do that. 
And honestly, there was a, a mandate or a, a direction from the executive directors that said, hey, we need the business to move faster. And if we're not willing to risk and able to try things out that are 80% there, we're going to spend a lot of time and procrastinate, honestly, by trying to get to that 100% perfect airtight solution. So it was a combination of all of those things. Another important piece is the discipline around that. And so I've built with my team and link teams a project plan. And that project plan has due dates. It has people responsible. It has notes and documents attached to it. And we review that plan on a regular basis. Not saying that every plan is going to go exactly how you put it, but at least everybody's on the same page. Everybody's aware of what's going on. We're making the changes, advising each other as we're making those changes, finding those points of collaboration along the way. So again, everybody's involved and it keeps it moving forward. And once you've built that expectation that everything's going to keep moving forward and you're going to review this again next week or in a couple of days, people get used to that cadence and they're ready for it. They're prepared for it. When you're thinking about broad initiatives that you want to track progress against, having the, the swim lanes plus also the roadmap and benchmarks across that roadmap or milestones across, that's good practice. I think if you take that same concept and drill that down to a manager and team level, that could be a great basis for your one-on-ones as well. So if you're regularly having conversations about where do you want to be and what do you want to do in your next role? This is your opportunity to build a plan and also execute against that plan on a regular basis so you can actually in- incorporate that into a development plan in your one-on-ones as well. So I, I like how you call that out and it just got me thinking about another application for it. So we've covered a lot of stuff in terms of focusing in on the simple and most important things and tackling a couple of those things with religious intensity over time. We've talked about some of the practical applications of what uh, your learning has been. Now, when you think back and you think about people that might be starting on this journey, what do you know now that you wish you had known then? Yeah, I think there's a few things. So first is to plant the seed. Let people know why you're doing something, how what the benefits are. Paint that picture. Share the vision of where you're trying to go and why this is an important effort. And then also because you're trying to win over the hearts and minds of folks, start small, get them engaged. When I started a process of measurements in our manufacturing area, at first we started with two or three measurements and we didn't talk about whether they were good or bad. We just got in the habit of doing it and reviewing it. And just in starting to watch it, things started to improve. And then we layered on things. So I think you can pilot things and then iterate. So break it into phases, break it into something that people can wrap their arms around, maybe within the context of a larger effort, but start with small pieces and the pieces that are easier and then build people's confidence in that change process so that once it really does get into the tough stuff or gets into the stuff that's going to need a lot more effort, they're ready for it. They already know where you're going. You've built a rhythm into your daily practice and interaction with folks. This actually came up in in a number of different conversations in different ways. I think when you're thinking about how should you get the process started and also put in the framework necessary for a reasonable frame, framework that's going to put you in a position for success, the things that you're talking about, 
you need to make sure that people are aligned, like the right people are aligned to what you're trying to do. You need to make sure that the messaging is uh, sound, like who's getting the message? Are they understanding what the message is about? Then you're talking about how the, the pacing and also the sequencing. How fast do you want to go and what do you want to focus on first? These are all things that are really important when you're working through any sort of change management. So that's really good stuff. We've covered a lot of ground in this conversation. What I'd like you to do is build us a framework for how somebody can actually get started in making these sort of changes and these sort of impacts. What are the key things that you'd advise them to focus on? I think first you have to get a temperature or an insight into your customers and what their perceptions are. Because again, you can be doing everything very well, but if no one knows that, or there's a gap in that understanding, you need to address that. I think that would be the first step is just understanding how people understand you and what you're trying to do and how you're performing. Then from there, really involve the process owners, the subject matter experts in brainstorming and building a plan and scheduling that plan and involve them and let them know, hey, we're going to be piloting some of this stuff. It doesn't need to be perfect out of the gate. We're going to learn as we go and we're going to gain a lot of credibility and respect by letting people know that we're figuring this out as we go because we're going to get some open, honest, frank feedback, but people aren't going to be mad at us. They're going to know that we're not all the way there, that we're pretty sure this is going to work and we need their help. So it just it's this almost this bifurcation of support and resources to help you make the process tighter and tighter as you iterate. And then one other thing is having some kind of tool or touchstone for everybody to review so that everybody knows what the plan is, how we're doing, and we re and revisit that plan on a regular basis. Great stuff, Matt. If people want to continue the conversation, where, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Email me. My email address is m-a-n-d-e-r-s-o at riogrande.com. That's R-I-O-G-R-A-N-D-E. Or you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Matthew Anderson. And yeah, glad to talk to anybody. One of the great things about Rio is we're pretty open. We love to have visitors and partner with other people to help everyone find more effective ways. And I honestly, most of the times when I'm sharing with somebody else, I get a lot more from that person that has the issue and telling me what they've done. I'm getting a lot more information than I'm giving. I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing uh, with us your experience and what you've learned uh, through your career, and especially when it comes to executing some of these large initiatives. When I think about this conversation, and in keeping with the theme that we've been talking about, which is simplicity, if, if you're looking at executing and, and making an impact on any initiative that you want to take out, here are the four things that stood out that you mentioned. If you want to build a framework for success, keep it simple, focus on a few things, preferably one or two, get started, and then iterate. If yeah. you follow that formula, and it's easier said than done, but if you keep it simple and follow that formula, I think you'll have a lot of success. And, and it's amazing to me how whenever we're tackling some of these initiatives, we can often get lost in the shiny objects and forget to keep things as simple as possible. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. For those of you who have uh, listened to this conversation, I appreciate if you leave us a, a review and tell us uh, what you thought of the discussion. 
Tune in next time where we will bring on another great leader to share with us the game-changing insights that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.